Hey everyone, welcome to Hit the Apex Podcast, it's Jawad here as always and thank you for tuning in this week. Uh, apologies if I talk a little slowly on this one, I'm still recovering from a bit of a head cold I had at the back end of last week and that the side effect of that is my throat has been buggered. Um, tested for COVID, which has been negative on several occasions, so that's been good, but still quite painful, and, uh, you know, it's a lot better than it was even yesterday, for example, but still, it kind of um, gives me a bit of grief here and there, so I will do my best, and that's why I delayed the show couple of days to hope that I could be a little bit better voice-wise to um, do a full recording for you guys, and plenty to talk about as well, hope everyone's doing okay, as as always I ask, um, a bit of a show coming up with review of the Austrian Grand Prix, in the middle of a doubleheader, looking ahead to Silverstone this weekend as well, exciting, because it's, you know, home race for so many people, so many fans, again, sold out, and, you know, all the crisis stories you hear about uh, people trying to get tickets, and the ordeal, and the procedure for that, you know, not that F1 cares, they're just happy that all the tickets sell, it doesn't matter who to, look at me, and being cynical already, <laughs> um, I think if I laugh is when, when it hurts a bit more, but yes, it, it does sound pretty familiar when you look at certain parts of the world, and um, you know, long time rusted fans missing out on tickets, or you know, not getting equal opportunity for tickets uh, compared to, you know, everyone else say but anyway we're not trying to not trying to be a gatekeeper on this show you know sometimes I do give off gatekeeper-esque uh opinions but at the end of the day no one's wrote back to me or complained you know take it up with head office yeah why not um getting carried away already, geez, better save my talking for the actual juicy stuff, anyway, Austrian Grand Prix over the weekend, it was another weekend, it was another route by Max Verstappen, you've got to say, and again, use all the superlatives you want in the world to describe him, he was fastest in every session, uh, including the two qualifyings that they had, because it was a sprint weekend, uh, and then won both the sprint and the race, and, you know, this is how far ahead he was in the race, that, you know, he was able to come in on the penultimate lap, sorry, big yawn, he was able to come in on the penultimate lap, Oh god, I felt my ears pop, then I can hear everything a lot better now. Uh, it's funny, I'm not editing that out, can't be bothered. Um, he came in on the penultimate lap with a lead of 20-something seconds, just to put on a, another set of soft tyres and set the fastest lap. His engineer's like, why? 
it doesn't matter but you know of course max is like it matters to me sort of thing so he goes out and uh sets the fastest lap as well so literally fastest in every session he won every session he it's, it's five straight wins now for him this season 10 straight for red bull if you count abu dhabi at the end of last year as well and you know, again, that whole thing about whether they're going to win every race this season. Have I changed my opinion? No, because I'm going to stay true to what I said. I feel like someone else will, or someone outside Red Bull will win a race this season. So we've still got, you know, more than half the races to go. So let's stick to it and make sure, um, you know, if it comes to the end of the year and I'm proven wrong, then, you know, wouldn't be like any other time. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so great weekend for him, great weekend for Red Bull again, not great though when in the sprint race there was a bit of a heated moment between himself and Sergio Perez's teammate who has been under fire the most in the most recent past and brought it up on this show as well how, yeah, you know, he was not really a title contender to begin with so we shouldn't have been getting caught up in that hype um but i also don't feel like it's as bad as some people make it out to be but it was quite interesting watching him come to blows over the weekend um so perez was second and max led off the lined pole position anytime perez tried to challenge going into turn one um, it looked like Max was kind of closing the door or squeezing him into the pit wall. And then coming out of turn one, Checo got the better traction and was ahead. And then Max tried to go down the inside of turn two, which is the, the kink before the heavy braking zone at turn three. Um, although Max ended up in the grass and, you know, was like, oh, Checo squeezed me or whatever. And then into three... Um, Max sort of outbreaks himself and, you know, goes wide but is able to sort of uh, hold Checo out there too. So ends up the position going back to Max and then as for good measure into four, Max kind of holds him high and wide and um, Perez ends up losing a position to Hulkenberg. So, you know, you can see why everyone was angry after that but I think they've probably dealt with it internally in the Grand Prix itself Checo was starting out of position he was eliminated in Q2 again although it was a matter of track limits this time which is something that we're going to talk plenty about a bit later probably not as much as you know other people have dealt with it because I'm not one of those people who have some kind of radical solution for you know preventing this in the future my stance is that you just follow the track limits that's it no no exceptions no oh there's gray area but i'll talk about that a bit later because there's a fair bit to unpack with that um but yeah in the race checo started out of position and came back to finish on the podium but he wasn't going to be a threat or bother max during the race so that would have kept uh, everyone with cool heads at Red Bull. Um, observation though on the sprint though, I've got to say 
it was only made entertaining or mildly entertaining, I've got to say, because of the wet conditions. You know, Red Bull still won at the end of the day. It was a 1-2 for them. And then we had a Ferrari third. So anyone who was like, oh, you know, Hulkenberg first ever podium but not a podium in a race weekend not going to happen Lando Norris as well he was excellent in qualifying kind of showing the um McLaren's upgrades have taken them you know a step further in terms of their midfield position or whatever um he qualified third but then he was uh you know sort of unlucky with a bit of a melee that happened or the melee that happened at turn three at the front and um, just lost a whole bunch of positions. So, yeah, I don't think he would have held on for P3 in those conditions anyway because the Ferrari was much quicker. So, yeah, I'm I'm still not... Basically, the, I'm not sold on, you know, the sprint still in this current format. And, again, qualifying for the race being on Friday, you kind of forget about all that and then hang on, it's Sunday, it's it's time to go racing for the Grand Prix, you know, it's it's very confusing, well, it's not confusing, it makes, it's clear, but it's just confusing that it just doesn't make sense, you know, to take away the kind of grandeur of the Grand Prix for Saturday to be all just to do with the sprint race, so, you know, and it still hasn't shown that, oh, the racing is spectacular, it was just made entertaining because there was wet conditions, you know, let's use Bernie Eccleston's idea of having a sprinkler at every track then to make racing interesting by that sort of token as well. Um, Going to the Grand Prix, Ferrari qualified second and third, uh, closest they've been, I guess, to the front for quite some time, even in qualifying trim, um, and they were quite close to Max uh, on the opening lap as well, all before the safety car came out, because Yuki Tsunoda lost his front wing, or had some front wing damage, and ended up needing repair, and there was debris over the track, and they were brought through the pit lane as well, so it took me a while to figure out why has everyone got an extra pit stop on the live timing screen, it's because when they go through the pits under the safety car, if uh, like the track needs clean up on the main straight or in turn one or the final corner, um, yeah, a trip through the pits counts apparently. So I have no idea. So everyone, most people were showing uh, three stops through the race. And, you know, if you're Lance Stroll, you were showing four, for example, because he did a three-stop strategy at the end. Um, but going back to Ferrari, they were quite close. So they briefly led the race as well when Max pitted on lap 25. So alternate strategies they were working off. Um, Ferrari both got their drivers in on lap 14, uh, pitting under the virtual safety car caused by Nico Hülkenberg. Uh, retiring from the race so he had some kind of engine problem and a shame really because they looked so they looked really strong in the sprint um they took a gamble as well to go on to slick tires and pitted to see if they could better you know they were like fourth fifth or something and ended up finishing still in the points um seventh i think or eighth to get some points 
you know, by going onto the slick tyres, see if the conditions are drying up. But yeah, sadly, in the GP itself, it wasn't good for them. Uh, wasn't good for Carlos Sainz. He was not happy at all with Ferrari pitting him at that point in the race under the virtual safety car. Um, and he just generally wasn't happy with Ferrari during the race as well. He wanted to be ahead of his teammate Leclerc. Um, then he was. Uh, complaining about being intimidated by Perez as well when when Perez eventually came and got past him to take that spot on the podium so not a very happy Carlos the last couple of races we've seen and he'll be returning to the scene of his one and only Grand Prix victory so far this weekend at Silverstone so hopefully it's a bit more smooth sailing for him but again um when you look back to this time last year, what happened at Silverstone was that Ferrari ended up doing Leclerc over um, so that Sainz could get the win uh, that day. So how the turn tables indeed. Uh, Max retook the lead on lap 35. He then pitted again on lap 50 before that penultimate lap pit stop. The Ferraris had to pit a couple of laps earlier than him. Uh, and like I said, Sainz ended up losing out to Perez, who was quite strong in the second stint, and came back to collect a much-needed podium as well, because it's been a bit of a struggle for him as of late, you know, going back to Miami, I think, the last time that he was on the podium, so good result for him in terms of getting the vultures off his back a little bit. Uh, behind them, though, there was a lot of battles going on, which has been great again. It's it's what we've been seeing so far this season. Uh, Hamilton, Lewis Hamilton, he ended up jumping Lando Norris at the start, so the McLaren did out-qualify uh, both the Mercedes or George Russell was out in Q2 and also ahead of the Aston Martins as well, so great stuff with, again, the McLaren upgrades. But um, Lewis just got ahead of Lando at the start, um, and then, yeah, it was an interesting sort of back and forth between them until the stewards room decided to go to work and, um, was handing out track limits penalties like a, they were Christmas presents, basically, and I made a note that they were quite generous in handing them out, not generous in the sense that, oh, you know, they were being lenient, it was like, wow, well, they're really on it today, um, and Hamilton was one of the first drivers to copper penalty in the race for it. Now, the quaterns, or the corners in question, in particular, was turns 9 and 10, so the two penultimate, or the penultimate and the final corners on the track, um, basically going, you know, to the left, wide, off the track, um, it's not allowed, you know, you get your lap time deleted in qualifying, um, or in practice, in the race you get your warnings, then you get the black and white flag, and then you get five second time penalty, it's simple, you know, it's, it's black and white, it's, it's, yeah, it's simple, why I don't really care much for engineering a solution in this instance is this is one of the few instances where we can agree with what the FIA have done with how they police this you know like I loved how um you know Michael Massey under the previous you know race directorship um 
you know, wanted to make it a bit transparent or a bit grey in the sense that, you know, certain corners, if you go beyond track limits, there's no, nothing to be gained from it. So they're going to clamp down on particular corners. Um, and you know, turns nine and 10 have always been a, a problem. So he would, you know, pick and choose corners that, you know, he would see as problems or the FIA would see as problems and police it that way, which made it really inconsistent race to race. So when, they got rid of him and installed the new race director and put all these new measures in place. The stance on track limits was you're over the white line, you're done basically. So that was the ruling. They've stayed pretty consistent or they've stayed, you know, absolutely consistent with that ruling this whole time. So why is it an issue now? Um, Because it looks embarrassing that, you know, we had, how many drivers post-race uh, given penalties. It was eight drivers after the race that were penalised with multiple positions having been changed. So at least it wasn't you know, a race win or something like that because if that was the case, then it would have been even more embarrassing or, or you know, any of the podium places. But, you know, have go through now. So your top three stay the same. But Lando, who finished fifth, he got moved up to fourth. Alonso, who was sixth, moved up to fifth because Carlos Sainz, who was fourth, got thrown down to sixth. Um, George Russell ended up moving up a spot from eighth to seventh. That's because Hamilton copped one after the race. Um, Stroll moved up a place into ninth after finishing tenth because Gasly ended up losing a position. Alex Albon in eleventh, he was penalised, but no movement in his position. Uh, Joe Guan Yu benefited two spots because the two cars behind him were penalised and it was Ocon who lost two places while Logan Sargent ahead of him who had arguably one of his better weekends you got to say in F1 um, copped a penalty but no change in position uh, and then at the rear you've got Valtteri Bottas and Oscar Piastri who moved up because they didn't get penalised though Nick De Vries did as well as Yuki Tsunoda, so down in 17th and 19th, and Kevin Magnussen um, was up from 19th as well. Nico Hulkenberg, the only non-classified finisher. So, when you look at this, and let's take Lando Norris, for example. Remember, he was so, like, you know, unsporting last time out in Canada. Very unsportsmanlike was his behaviour. What are we going to say about this time in Austria, where he kept it within the track limits, just barely. It can be done. And there's a rumour out there that apparently Alonso ratted the whole lot out to the stewards after the race, um, which, you know, was such an Alonso thing to do. But, you know, he as well kept it within the lines, didn't get a penalty. So I think the issue is not with, you know oh, they've got to change something, and yes, you know, there's a whole debate on whether they should put gravel on the outside of those corners there in Austria in particular. Um, It's not something that I see happening logistically, given the fact that there's a lot of racing that goes on there, um, a lot of car racing, and, you know, and also bike racing, and for bike racing, gravel in that sort of situation is quite unsafe. Um, But how do we get better at, you know, ensuring that drivers adhere to the rules, 
you know, if it was up to me, I'd have lava and, you know, no one would dare try to go off the track. And, you know, most people also say, look at tracks like Monaco, where are you going to go? But the thing is, if it in, if the, the deterrent is not visible, drivers are always going to take liberties. You know, it's just in there. It's how they're wired. They're always going to explore the limits and cross the line as much as they can before they get told off for it you know so and then if you're in the case of Hamilton you were you know having a right old um whinge about it but yeah I don't think making any kind of drastic changes is needed maybe there could be a better way to communicate to drivers about you know okay you're on this many warnings I know you know some team radio broad that's broadcast does indicate that this happened but at the end of the day maybe something on the dash needs to come up as well as if the drivers don't have a million other things going on in their dashboards on their steering wheels but if they did introduce some kind of electronic sensor like a pressure sensor when a particular car does go over that it just automatically triggers you know a little warning on on your dashboard it might be a way to to stop it so i think it's about you know better educating the drivers more than the FIA or, you know, circuits having to make wholesale changes just to accommodate, um, you know, drivers who don't want to make changes like that. So that's where I stand on it. I've, I've had this viewpoint for many years and even when Massey was in charge and the track limits debate was very, you know, Fifty Shades of Grey sort of thing, not in the sense of the novel, but, you know, the the, the metaphor and the saying, um, you didn't know what you were going to get from track to track or from year to year, corner to corner. I like how it's very blunt, it's black and white, you've just got to stick to it now and, you know, set a good example for everyone else as a result. Um, so, yeah, we've covered off all the penalties that did happen in the end, Um Upgrades, as I said, for McLaren, they bore fruit for Lando. He didn't, uh, they didn't give the upgrades to Oscar Piastri, though, so hopefully this time out in Silverstone, he will have the upgraded McLaren because it's certainly quite, it's certainly very quick. And, you know, whether they can, you know, do well in the races is another thing, but Lando did prove that, you know, he could be up there and race with the likes of Hamilton for as long as he did and then benefited of course of the because of the penalty um to the Briton later. Uh Hamilton through the race had a difficult one and like I said, both Mercedes and Aston Martin again um struggling I think with the high speed tracks or tracks with high speed corners which you know Barcelona was another example of this but yet you know tracks with slow speed corners like most of the ones that we've been to so far this year they've been pretty good so you know Mercedes are going to be getting upgrades at Silverstone and um, I think you know it was quite telling during the race when Hamilton was told by his boss Toto Wolf I know the car is bad just shut up and drive it <laughs> um, that yes it's it's getting frustrating for even Toto to sit there every weekend and listen to his drivers um, slag off about the car so yeah I think we'll just leave it at that but you know there's still a lot of potential um, f- for them but yeah it's quite interesting that this is probably the second 
circuit we've been to this season that has high-speed corners um, and even Silverstone next time out, you know, that's full of high-speed corners. How are the likes of Mercedes and Aston Martin going to go there? So, you know, I'm already sort of feeling that we might see Ferrari again feature closer to the Red Bulls. It's it's Red Bulls to lose, basically. But it wouldn't be surprising also to have a McLaren up there too if, if both cars have the upgrades and whatnot. So they'll be sort of fighting for the third or fourth quickest team on the day, which will be exciting. Um, like I said too, Lance Stroll was bold with a three-stop strategy and ended up back in the points and he was promoted to ninth, so it wasn't all doom and gloom for Aston Martin, but again, it would be nice if they could feature a bit further up, particularly with a lot of those high-speed corner tracks coming into play this later part of the season, so after Silverstone we go to Hungary, which, you know, not it's more like a Monaco but and like a go-kart circuit but again you know there's a few high speed complexes and then of course spa as well coming up later um there was a pit lane incident the incident there was a pit lane incident between Ocon and Sargent that again race control decided to do nothing about an unsafe release penalty so I feel like you know they've taking a blind eye to that perhaps I don't know maybe I'm wrong love to be proved wrong if someone out there wants to do that uh and then oscar piastri unfortunately caught up in a midfield melee early on at turn three ended up with a damaged front wing and i don't think it was talked about talked about much during the race so you know people from the outside might have been like oh he's shocking you know like dan ricardo would have done better in that situation but you know for someone who doesn't have the upgrades on his car this weekend and then ended up with front wing damage quite early on in the race. And it's not the first time that's happened to Oscar either. I look back to, I think, Saudi, was it? He ended up with damage or Bahrain even. And, you know, after that and you get behind, you get stuck in the DRS train, it's really hard to make passes. So hopefully, yeah, at Silverstone, he ends up with a, a better run and can actually, you know, race with, the midfield rather than right at the back where it's really hard to make sort of headway unless you're in a Red Bull and you're Max Verstappen. But anyway, um, you know, no sort of penalty as well for him. So he's doing a good job there to drive sensibly and whatnot. And like I said before, I know I'm repeating myself, but not everyone got penalised. That's the thing. It was only a handful of drivers or eight drivers um, after the race that were penalized so it wasn't such a huge thing that you could be like oh you know all the drivers got penalties some of them out there are actually doing the right thing so we'll leave it at that anyway uh but yeah with another Verstappen win the lead in the championship of course balloons out and looking ahead to the British Grand Prix Red Bull targeting their first win at Silverstone since 2012. Can you believe that? Can you believe of all the races that they've won um, in the recent past and over the years that Silverstone has been one track that's been a bit of a bogey to them because, yeah, it's gone back to Mark Webber who won their last for them in 2012 and that was quite an exciting race. Even in 2013 when 
we had the exploding Pirelli tyres in the race. It was Nico Rosberg who won that one in a Mercedes that was uh, known for being a tyre killer. So it was quite interesting. And then, you know, Lewis Hamilton in subsequent years, you know, had a stranglehold on his home race and all the memories that people have of his winning ways. And I think, you know, Ferrari, Sebastian Vettel might have won as well in there. And, you know, actually, I lie. Max has won at Silverstone before, but it was the 70th anniversary Grand Prix, so that's why Red Bull are like, they haven't won a British Grand Prix since 2012, so, makes sense, makes very much sense now, um, that, because I was like, hang on, I feel like Max has won at, at Silverstone before, but it was the 70th anniversary Grand Prix that we had in 2020, so, you know, that's, that makes sense in that respect, um, and while we're on Red Bull, uh, there's post-race tyre test going on too, and uh, Daniel Ricciardo will be participating in that. There'll be a bit of evaluating going on, I'm sure, but is he going to be firming up to take Checo's seat as soon as the Hungarian Grand Prix, like many are speculating? No, I don't think so. And again, unless he really blows them out of the water with his performance... In, in a testing sort of scenario with prototype tyres. I don't even think that he's going to have that seat next year. You know, I feel like leave the seat to Checo, f- let him see out his contract. It's not like he's going to cost Red Bull the constructor's title or the driver's title because, you know, Max is going to win the driver's title. And, hey, Max could win the constructor's title on his own as well, like Marc Marquez did in, I think, 2018 what it was, the year that Jorge Lorenzo, um, you know, withered in the, on the Honda, uh, yeah, most of the constructors' points or the team's championship that year in MotoGP went the way of Mark Marquez, so, you know, outscoring his closest um, team rival in Ducati and Yamaha, so, yeah, wouldn't put it past Max doing something similar, but I feel like, you know, as ruthless as Red Bull are, you know, there is no real trajectory, like, in terms of promoting their next crop of drivers, like, if if you were to want to have someone like a Liam Lawson or whatever, or Yuki Tsunoda even, go up to the main team, I think, like, Tsunoda is plausible, I guess, to do next year, but... Would you, though? Like, has he proved that he's consistent enough? And if you put someone like a Liam Lawson or an Awasa in this year or into the Alpha Tauri or whatever they're going to be called next year, because apparently they won't be Alpha Tauri and they won't be Toro Rosso, I don't know. Maybe they could be B, B2 to Red Bull's B1. You know, the bananas in pyjamas. Um, you would want to give... Any junior coming in, Dennis Hauger is another one I'm thinking of. You would want to give any junior coming in at least a year at the junior team to to find their feet. Like we do not want, and I repeat, we do not want a repeat of what's happened to Danny Kvyat, Pierre Gasly, Alex Albon, where you know they're in the Red Bull and not even a year later they end up getting turfed, or I think in Albon's case it was a year and a half they were turfed, but yeah, to go through like six months or six or twelve months of public scrutiny and whatnot that you do face when you're at a team like Red Bull, it is a 
it is a fire pit, honestly. It's one of the most toxic environments that I've seen in a team, you know. So, yeah, you'd want whoever's coming in to be properly blooded and developed. Because, um, yeah, I would hate to see someone like a, a Lawson or a Hauger or a Wasa spat back out by the Red Bull system as those other drivers that I mentioned were. So, yeah, but going back to Checo, you know, if... Ricardo's shows that he's not going to be any better in terms of his pace um, in that car, then I see no reason not to let Checo see out his contract next year. It would have to take some kind of catastrophic falling out between him and Red Bull or him and Max for that to be, um, you know, taken care of early. But as it is, stay the course. He's not as much a liability as some people think at the moment. You know, there's far worse drivers on the grid in, in you know, high positions as well that are letting their teams down, I feel. So, you know, let's let's focus on that more so than what's going on at Red Bull. Um, great to see as well some different liveries as well. I think Williams have done a tribute livery for uh, a milestone for them, 800 races or something like that, I hear. Uh, Aston Martin as well with a new sponsor on board, so they've got some new branding. And McLaren going back to the chrome livery, um, the classic chrome of the late 2000s, the Vodafone cars that, you know, for a lot of us, was kind of like the McLaren of our generation, really, uh, with the Vodafone branding. Um, but you know, this time it's in partnership with Google Chrome. So haha, Google and Chrome. I hear that not everyone's a fan of it. Um, I hear some people love it. I found an interesting picture that compares it to one of the Force Indias of the early turbo hybrid era where they did go for a silver, orange and black look. So, you know, it wouldn't be the first time that McLaren copied a Force India or Spiker livery. Cause I think the orange that they had, um, in 2017, I'm going to say the final year with Honda, uh, that orange livery looked more like a spiker than it did a papaya uh, livery. So yeah, I find that quite entertaining. But anyway, we'll leave it at that. Hopefully we have an entertaining race at Silverstone. Um, if anyone's going, hope you enjoy. It's, it's, you know, one of those special races, isn't it? That everyone's like, you know, you've got to do Silverstone. It's the home of motorsport in England it's you know kind of the center of where most of the teams are based as well um there in the center in central England so yeah I hope everyone has a good little time there uh talk about supercars though now let's go over to supercars um and and start off with this elephant in the room this elephant being Shane Van Gisbergen who Went over to Chicago to try his hand at NASCAR last weekend. And, you know, I'll admit I'm not much of a NASCAR follower or watcher. But when someone like Van Gisbergen goes over and does what SVG does best, it's hard not to, you know, want to get behind it and be like, what a phenomenal driver. What a phenomenal driver. He won on his debut First driver in 60 years, apparently, to win a Cup Series race, which is the top flight of NASCAR, um, on their first attempt, too. Like, 
come on, you know, and I got excited on, on Saturday or on Sunday here when I heard that he qualified third on the grid. I was like, oh, wow, that's incredible. Like, you know, when when you have these sort of one-off appearances from drivers, you don't expect them to, you know, do something crazy like win. It's it's the same feeling, you know, when Nika Hulkenberg went off and did Le Mans in 2015 and who would have thought that the wild card Porsche that year would have won the 24 hour Le Mans and Hulkenberg became a Le Mans winner, you know? And I think this though is a lot more significant given all the conjecture about SVG at the moment and whether he stays or whether he goes, we know that he's good as gone for 2025. Um, despite signing that new deal with triple eight Red Bull in the supercars championship, but Jamie Wincup, his team boss and ex-teammate, says that he's even free to go next year if he is offered um, a full-time gig that he won't stop um, Shane. So, you know, what happens then? You know, who is going to fill that prized seat, essentially? Because it is, you know, he's currently the reigning champion, the three-time Supercars champion, two-time Bathurst winner as well. Um it's going to be hot property, and of course, last time I did mention uh, that Cam Waters' name has been floated around as well, and the fact that apparently Red Bull's title sponsorship deal with Triple Eight is up as well, that perhaps they might go after um, Waters and Monster Energy, do a package deal or whatever, and have um, rebranded cars for next year. Who knows? It's it's it won't. Nothing can happen really until. Uh, Van Gisbergen makes his decision, but I've got to say, and you know, I've been ranting and raving about supercars all year this year because it's hard not to be dissatisfied with certain parts of it. And yes, you know, the calendar and Gen 3 and all that, but going back to Newcastle, I, I think I made it quite clear that I was really disappointed in how I feel like Van Gisbergen who is, you know, the reigning champion, like I've said, three-time champion, winner of so many races, was disrespected the way he was, you know, and here's Mark Scaife talking about, you have to, as an ambassador of the sport, you know, it's your duty to talk up the cars and talk this up and, you know, blah, 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 you know, it's also Van Gisbergen's role as the ambassador's of the ambassador of the sport to be looking out for the sport's better interest, which in this case is giving the drivers cars that are actually going to race good, you know, deliver on that promise and also race fairly, you know. But no, as proud as Scaife is with his jeans right up, his, um, you know, what I'm going to say, um, they don't realize that. And I feel like supercars don't realize that either. So, for all that disrespect, bugger him, you know, and I'm glad that, you know, Shane gets to go off and showcase his talents elsewhere in the world. It was the same with Scott McLaughlin as well. I mean, you know, often I felt like he would be portrayed in a very negative way. Of course, you go back to 2019 with the the Mustang and, you know, it took like five seconds for them to launch a parody review into the Ford Mustang that year, but it's taken a good age for them to do the review ahead of this weekend's event in Townsville. Um, and then not to mention, you know, the controversy at Bathurst that year as well with the Debris 
as well. Not saying that, you know, oh, they weren't in the wrong there, but, you know, McLaughlin was stitched up more for all the negative things than the positive, the fact that he was the best driver at that time. You know, he took a team that hadn't won a championship for, you know, since 2012 or whatever when, when um, James Courtney won in, in a car that Charlie Schwerkolt actually owned um, and run out of Dick Johnson Racing uh, back to the front, you know, and him and Ludo Lacroix and Team Penske and all the influence and all that. And it made me really sad that, yeah, you know, some people here are so one-eyed and dim-witted that, you know, we can't look past, you know, tradition or, you know, oh, it's got to be the the Chevrolet team or GM team, whatever you want to go about. It's just not racing. It's not professional. Um, And for me to be like, oh, you know, NASCAR looks so much better than supercars at the moment. God, am I, I need to check my temperature, you know, go, you know, go to the doctors, get a full medical exam done, because I don't know what I'm saying, but, you know, it's what Van Gisbergen wants to do, I think he can be successful, just look at how Scotty has made an impression in IndyCar, you know, it was one of those situations where I was like, I hope it's not like Marcus Ambrose, where he only wins, you know, once or twice, and it's, uh, he's, he comes back home after a few years, or, um, you know, Valentine Holmes going over to play NFL for, uh, and but not even making it into the New York Jets um, lineup or whatever, and then coming home and smashing it for my North Queensland Cowboys. You know, gotta love Valentine Holmes. Um, but no, Scotty has established himself as, you know, not only a, a front running driver for a really good team, but, you know, a personality as well the whole bus bros thing, which I need to get behind as well. I don't know too much about it, but I know that it's a thing that he does with Joseph Newgarden and some of the other um, uh, drivers that are quite close in the IndyCar paddock. You know, I'm sure Shane would, you know, not do his own bus bros series, but, you know, will put himself on the map further. Like if he hasn't already with the win in NASCAR, I can't remember the name of the driver who was saying that he, he came and made us all look like fools with the way he performed with that, like, you know, Supercars doesn't deserve that, and if, you know, Scaife wants to go on about ambassadors or whatever, then, you know, he should just create a, you know, get a cookie cutter and create some kind of cardboard cutout of himself and have that as the ambassador for Supercars, because that, honestly seems like what you know they want in terms of their public image as well about gen 3 you know they can't handle a bit of criticism or feedback you know whatever fine um and then you know you've got guys like waters and and kostecki as well Brody kostecki who have eyes on racing overseas too you know good on them you know i'm glad that you know they were able to put their names up there with the help of supercars, but as in terms of longevity and, you know, prestige as well, it's, it's been, it's been very, you know, painful and seems like it's dying a slow death with, with some of the decisions that have been made this year. And like I said to the parody review, changes have been made coming into Townsville this weekend with the Mustang. So, um, 
you know, it was described as a minor rear downforce difference between the two uh, body types, so the Camaro and the Mustang, um, and also performance under braking. So changes to the rear wing and the rear, rear spoiler for all the Ford Mustangs has been made. So hopefully we'll see a difference. If not, then it's, you know, we're in for the same sort of pain for the rest of the year. But it's not just that, you know, like we're talking about Super 2 this weekend too. Should be happy that, yeah, we've got Super 2 and Super 3 on the undercard. But, you know, when was the last time we had a Super 3 or Super 2 or Super 3 event? I can't even remember, you know. And I would love if, you know, we're talking about the calendar for next year, more events on that. Because six events spread across, you know, what, we've got 12 supercar rounds or whatever. And to have six of the development series rounds, but spread on, you know, opposite ends of the calendar, it, like, you lose interest, you know, and your casual fans are not going to get behind it either, and, you know, particularly in a silly season where we're talking about the likes of Ryan Wood, potentially. Who's Ryan Wood, you ask? Well, you know, let me do my research, is what, you know, someone else would say if they're not as informed as, you know, yours truly, or someone writing an article on, on one of the big websites for, for supercars, um, yeah, like, how, how do you keep up with that kind of thing, so, yeah, anyway, that's my sort of rant done, but, um, you know, some other highlights as well, like, while Van Gisbergen was off doing his thing in Chicago, there was a race, uh, at Spa, the Spa 24 Hours, um, GT race, so, Intercontinental GT World Challenge was there as well, so you know, we got to see some of the teams and drivers who were at the Bathurst 12 hour earlier this year uh, over there, including Valentino Rossi I think him and Maxime Martin and, and Augusto Farfas finished I think 7th at the end uh, and yeah, the race was won by a Audi I believe, I can't remember, but anyway, Chaz Mostert was there, uh, racing in the Sun Energy 1 Mercedes, the one that, you know, Kenny Abel has won the last couple of Bathurst 12 hours, fortunately Kenny crashed in qualifying and ended up in hospital, um, glad that he's doing a lot better, but they had to order a whole new car and, um, start from the pit lane and Chaz went out and won the Pro-Am class. So well done to him, but you know, it would be remiss of me to talk about Spa and the weekend and not, um, uh, say something about the young Dutch racer Delano Van Toff, who sadly lost his life there in the Formula Regional, European Championship race that they ran as an undercard, um, it's just awful to hear another driver has lost their life, you know, at such a young age, 18 years old, I believe, and, um, whilst not in the same spot as, um, where Antoine Hubert had his crash uh, in 2019, uh, you know, the circumstances were pretty similar, so I know some of the F1 drivers like Lance Stroll, Pierre Gasly have come out and been vocal about it and say that, you know, they've got to do something to make a change, so uh, to prevent more, you know, fatalities happening there in the future, so we'll see what happens, but yeah, tragic, tragic news and, you know, um, everyone who's affected, you know, it's difficult not to to think of you losing 
you know, family member, loved one, friend, you know, colleague and all that. So, yeah, it's quite sad um, for that. But, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Thank you for tuning in. I know that the calendar for 2024 F1 was released as well yesterday. It was on my mind to talk about today, but I feel like I kind of reaching the end of my vocal cord capacity and I do hope to record or be guest on grid talk as well this weekend I had to pull out last weekend because I literally had no voice after deciding to go see Thy Art is Murder Friday night so you know that turned out to be um, a good life choice but yeah I'll talk more about the calendar next week after the British Grand Prix and uh, Townsville 500 until then though everyone take care Stay safe and I'll see you next time.